0: You may not always understand God's process, but you can always trust it. This is the first message in the series Tides, Waves, and Currents. The message is entitled, Know Where You Are Going. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. I'm going to talk to you for the next several weeks about these three words. I want you to say them with me. Tides, winds, and currents. Say it together. Tides, winds, and currents. Occurrence. I promise you, if you've ever been on a boat, you've ever been sailing or on a, on a lake somewhere, a river somewhere, on the ocean somewhere, an end of a bay, you've realized that these three things have a lot to do with how comfortable you are in that vessel. Whether the tide is coming in or going out, or whether the wind is blowing strong, and it's a gale force wind, or a small craft advisory, or whatever the case might be, you feel those winds in that vessel, and certainly the currents will affect you also in terms of any kind of navigation you do on the water. And I'm here to tell you that in life, we're going to always face, on this journey of life, we're going to always face, in the the attempt to make progress in life, you're going to face these three things, say them with me again, tides, winds, and currents, that as you're going forth in your journey, I assure you that there are going to be some times that it feels like the tides of life are against you, and there will be times you feel like you are flowing with the tides of life. There will be times when the wind doesn't seem to be blowing at all in your, your life journey. It seems like everything is going well. There'll be other times when gale force or hurricane force winds may be blowing. There'll be times when you're with the current and times when the current seems to be pushing against everything that you attempt to do. As I thought about these three terms, tides, winds, and currents, in terms of navigating life, my mind went to a very important biblical character, and his name is Daniel. Daniel was a man in the Old Testament who faced a significant amount of these three things, the tides, the winds, and the currents of life in different seasons of his life. And I want to give you a little bit of history about Daniel so you understand a bit of the setting of the story. And then we're going to dive in tonight about knowing where you're going in life and how these three elements affect that. But Daniel was, when we're first introduced to Daniel in the Bible, Daniel is about 17 years old. Think about that. He's just a mere teenager. 17 years of age. The year is approximately 605. B.C., somewhere around that time. And for an extensive period of time, Israel and Judah, by this time, the nation of Israel had been divided into two parts, the northern kingdom uh, called Israel, the southern kingdom called Judah, and Daniel lived in Judah. And throughout the years, the prophets had warned both Israel and Judah that they did not turn away from idolatry. They were going to be led away into captivity. And that happened to the northern kingdom. The, Israel, the, the nation of Israel was taken into captivity, captivity first by the Assyrians. And then after another extended period of time, as the prophets began to warn Judah, the small nation of Judah, that the same fate effaced them. If they did not change, they never repented. And then Babylon came in to capture them. And the king during that season of time for Babylon was a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And the first thing that Nebuchadnezzar did is when he came down to capture Jerusalem in about 605 B.C., 605, 605 years before Christ was born approximately, as he comes down into Jerusalem... The first thing that he does, and it was not uncommon for kings to do this, but the first thing that he does is he finds all the, all the, 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 the smart guys, the young, smart young talent in the land, and he takes them off into his territory. In this case, he takes them from Jerusalem, from Judah, and takes them into Babylon. And so when we first meet this man named Daniel... He's a young man, 17 years of age, and he's now been ripped out of his hometown, ripped away from his family, ripped away from everything that was familiar to him, and he's been placed in a very foreign environment, not just foreign in the sense of something uh, geographically different, but culturally different, but more importantly, spiritually different. Because the people of Babylon did not worship Jehovah God, and Daniel was a worshiper of God, as we will see as we go throughout this series. But Daniel was now placed in this environment where all the tides and all the winds and all the currents of culture, all the tides, all the winds, and all the currents spiritually were pushing against him. He was now the minority in the midst of a majority of people who were idolatrous. He was living in a culture that did not honor God. He was living in a culture surrounded by people who would not even give any level of respect to his own relationship with God. It sounds a bit like the world in which we live today, does it not? the kind of world that we we as Christians face from time to time, hostility and difference from how we're wanting to pursue life. And for Daniel, the tides and the winds and the currents of culture and the tides and the winds and the currents of Babylonian idolatry and spirituality were pushing against his faith, his confidence in God. He was physically in Babylon, but he was very concerned that his heart not become a Babylonian heart. Wanted to make sure that he kept his relationship with God in the midst of, say these words again with me, the tides, the winds, and the, the currents. In this series, we're going to talk about how he processed this and what lessons we learned from him. But I want to start tonight by the orientation of Daniel's life, because if you don't understand this part of Daniel, you'll not understand the rest of his story, because we learn a lot about him in the very first chapter of the book. We learn something about this young man that showed us how he navigated the tides, the winds. And the currents. And I would submit to you as we're starting this series together that Daniel was able to navigate the tides and the winds and the currents of Babylon, this culture he was placed in, because he knew where he was going. He had an orientation of his life that kept him on target, he knew where he needed to go with his life, and nothing was going to push him off course. And I want to share with you for the next few moments six things that I see in Daniel's life that are relative to our lives, that if you and I want to walk our way, live our way, sail our way through a culture that is contrary oftentimes to our faith in God and contrary to how we want to live our lives, that push against us spiritually and push against us culturally, how do we do this? How do we live this way? What are the lessons that Daniel will give us? And the first lesson is you need to know where you're going. Can I get a little amen right there. And I want to talk to you about how you know where you're going. And the first thing that is essential if you're going to navigate the tides and the winds and the currents by knowing where you're going is you got to choose your ending. If you don't know where you're going, don't be surprised if you end up in the wrong place. There's an old saying that some people approach life with ready, fire, aim. Instead of ready, aim, fire, it's ready, fire, aim. They just sort of get up and start moving somewhere in life and they never really think about where they're going. They never really think about what the end play is. Where do I want to end up with my life? And it's very obvious that Daniel knew exactly where he was going. He knew where he wanted his life to end up and that's why he was able to process the tides, the winds, and the currents Let's take a look at Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to read about six verses here, so bear with me as I set the stage reading the first six verses of the first chapter of Daniel. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. We've already talked about that. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon. Notice that the temple of his what? God, little g there, in Babylonia, and put in the treasure of the house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning. Well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the? Notice this. He was to do what to them? Teach them all about how to be what? Not a Jew. How to be a Babylonian, okay? to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. After that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their names you will re- remember from perhaps Sunday school. But I want you to see that what was going on here is that Daniel was brought into this culture. And the whole idea was, we're going to take you, a Jew, who worships the Jehovah, the one and only Jehovah God. We're going to take you, and we're going to make a Babylonian out of you. We're going to teach you the language and the literature of a culture that does not acknowledge your God, but acknowledges another God or other gods, a a place of idolatry. And in fact, the way we're going to initiate you into this is we're going to make you start eating what we eat. And drinking what we drink. Now, I don't have time to go into all the history of this, but to eat and drink as the Babylonians did, oftentimes in terms of drink, they would offer libations to their gods before they would drink of their drink, and they would certainly not have the kosher kind of food that Daniel was familiar with and committed to. And so they're trying to do everything possible. Are you seeing there's a lot of tide and a lot of wind and a lot of current trying to push? Daniel away from his commitment to God and to this idea, "I, I, I just need to be like everybody else. I just need to be like the Babylonians around me. I'm not in Judah anymore. I might as well just simply give in and be like them. So we have Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. These are four friends that will show up again in our study together. What was potentially this disorienting environment, though, really actually reveals to us something about Daniel, because I wanted now to go to verse number 8, because by the time we get to verse 8, that's two verses later, from where we stopped here, we see something very important about Daniel. I'm going to ask you to read this one together with me. If you can, read through your mask aloud and loudly. For those that are watching online, read where you are as well, aloud with me. But Daniel, read together. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Here, here are all the tides. All the winds, all the currents of a Babylonian culture pushing against this 17-year-old young man trying to say, we're going to make you a Babylonian it's just a matter of time. We're going to work on you for three years, but by the time we finish with you, you're going to forget that Jew thing. You're going to forget that commitment to Jehovah God. We're going to get all that out of you, and we're going to make you just like we are. We're going to make you one of us. You're going to be an idolater just like we are. And so all this pressure was pushing against Daniel, but the Bible says, but what did Daniel do? Daniel Resolved not to do what? Defile himself. Daniel made a decision, and the reason that Daniel made a decision is because Daniel knew where all of this would lead, and he wanted his life to end well. He didn't want to end this way. He wanted to end with his relationship with God intact. He knew where he wanted his life to end up. And he resolved that he was going to make sure that he stayed on the path that would get him where he needed to be in the end. One of the most important decisions that you and I will ever make in life, and you don't make it once. You make it multiple times in life. In in fact, oftentimes you make it every day, and sometimes you make it more than one one time a day. And that's the question, where do I want my life to end up? what I want the end story of my life to be. What am I going to resolve towards so that I get where I really need to be or stay away from that which I need to stay away from? Where do I want my life to end up? And I would submit to you this weekend that very question in your own life. Where where do you want your life to end up? Have you asked that question? What do you want it to be like when you come to the end of your life? What, What do you want your life to have said? What do you want to have done with your life? What message do you want to have communicated with your life? Do you want to go with the tides and the winds and the currents, uh, if if you will, the Babylonian push? Or are you wanting to resolve yourself to say, I don't want to defile myself in that way? Where do you want to end up in life? You know, Jesus talked a lot about this. He talked about where you want to end up. Listen to what he said. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on, what day is that? Well, we know it's the day when Jesus comes back again and all the judgment happens. But but let's just break it down a little further. That day is the day when this life for you is over with. There's going to be a that day for you. There's going to be a day that they're going to say, okay, on this day, such and such passed from this life to the next life. And there's going to be an end point. I've talked about it before on every tombstone. There's a birth date and there's a death date. Every tombstone uh, that, that, that is occupied, every grade that is occupied with a tombstone will have both of those dates. There is a that day for every one of us. Notice what Jesus said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven many will say to me on that day Lord Lord do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons in your name perform many miracles then I will tell them plainly I never knew you away from me you evil doers does that bring a little bit of concern to your heart and life it certainly does to mine when I read it it makes me think I want to make sure that I know where I'm ending up amen take a look at this next passage Matthew 25, his master replied. This is a, the, the wrapping up, if you will, of a, a point of accountability. He'd given his servants certain responsibilities. Some had done well, some had not. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's what I want to be doing for eternity. How about you, okay. It's one of the greatest things as I think about the loss of my mom this year and I know what she's doing right now. She's sharing in her master's happiness because I know how she lived her life. I knew that she had faith in Jesus Christ and if you know someone who's passed on from this life to the next life as a follower of Jesus and they've lived their life and ended it well, then you know that the, that's, that's what's in store and so that's where we need to think about how our life is going to end. What are we resolving to be or do? For whoever wants to save their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul how many people are just just giving up their soul for all kind of stuff people giving up their soul for money People have given up their soul for fame. People are giving up their soul for all for popularity. People are giving up their soul for stuff that doesn't matter in the end. What is it profit? What, is it, what good is it if someone gains the whole world and yet forfeits their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Daniel knew where he was going. I told you i got to move along because i got a lot to preach about. But uh, let's go to the next point, okay? Number two, you've got to choose the right source. Tides, winds, and currents. So you got to know where you want to end, then you got to make sure you got the right source. Let me explain what I mean by that. Your success in any destination is determined by the map you choose. If you don't know where you're going, you have to have the right map. If you're on a boat, those things are called chart plotters. Or charts that you use. And they map out the different places. If you want to get from the Chesapeake Bay to New York Harbor. Then you have to chart it out either electronically. Or get all those uh, proper uh, charts that are provided. Available for you through the government. You can take a look at all the different ways that you can travel. The depths of the water. And the different channels that are there. You've got to know the way to the destiny. You need some good charts and you need a good map or you'll never get there. And the same is true in life. It was true for Daniel. Daniel had some charts for his life. And the chart that Daniel had for his life was God's Word. God's Word was not just a book Daniel carried around with him. Daniel's chart was in his heart. Because he's taken into Babylon, and he's now in an, in a culture that, that that is now contrary to God, and he doesn't have his resources, his spiritual resources uh, of the temple with him any longer. But here's the beautiful thing. You can take him out of the temple, but you can't take the temple out of him. You can take him away from where the word is being taught, but you can't take the word out of him. Dear one, let me tell you something. If you get the word in you, it'll carry you through wherever you are. Whatever circumstance you might be in, but you got to get it in you, okay? Because you never know where you're going to end up in life, so you need this in you. You don't just, oh, where's my Bible? No, my my Bible, I hide God's Word in my heart that I might not sin against Him. Now, I've hidden a lot of God's Word in my heart, and I've had some sins along the way, as everybody does, but I tell you what, it sure helps you stay away from it when the Word of God is in your heart. Daniel had God's Word in his heart. You could put him in Babylon, but you couldn't take the Word. You can't take the Word out of his heart. Are you with me? He had it inside of him. And you've got to have this commitment. If you're going to make it, listen, dear ones, if you're going to make it in the world in which we're living today, I don't know that there's ever been a time in history when there's more of the tides and the winds and the currents trying to push us away from commitment to God. And if you're going to make it in the world in which we live today against those tides and winds and Babylonian currents that are coming against us, you need to hide God's Word in your heart like you've never hidden it before. Let me give you seven things. You need to know about the Word of God and why you should hide it in your heart. These are going to be very, very fast. And so stay with me very, very, very tentatively here. Number one, because it's truth. Amen? God's Word is truth. You don't need to build your life on a lie. You need to build your life on truth. Sanctify them. Jesus said this about Scripture. Sanctify them by truth. God, your Word is truth. Number two, it is perfect, pure, and precious. God's Word is perfect. God's Word is pure. God's Word is precious. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is perfect. Pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. Number three, the third thing, it is reliable. You can count on God's word. It never fails. It never fails. It never fails. It never fails. (laughs) Notice Joshua 21, 45, not one, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Can I get a hallelujah right there? Amen, okay? Next thing, it is powerful. The Bible says that the Word of God is powerful. Notice Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the Word of God is alive and Powerful. The actual uh, Greek word there means it's able, it's capable, it's active, is another word for it, okay? There's a basic meaning of that. For the Word of God is alive, it's active, it's able, it's capable, it's sharper than any two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Then it is eternal. It is never going to change. Dear one, this world is going to change. People's opinions change. Your opinions change. But the Bible never changes. It is eternal. It is the eternal Word of God. Your Word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm. That it means it's never going to change. It stands firm in heaven. It is good. Everybody say amen. It is good. The, the Word of God is a good book. That's why we often refer to it as the good book. They experience the goodness of God's Word and the powers of the world to come. Speaking of those who have been exposed to the goodness of God. And the last thing I'll give you here, it is useful. It is something you can use in your life every day. Let me say this. The Bible is not antiquated. The Bible will never be outdated. The Bible will never be antiquated. It has application to your life as surely as it did 2,000 and 5,000 and 10,000 potentially years ago. This book still is alive and useful for you today. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Daniel had been taught the Word of God. It was his chart. It was his Map. He was not in Babylon without a map. He had a map with him to traverse the tides and the winds and the currents. Let me ask you one more question here before we go on. Why did Daniel have it in him? He's 17. Somebody taught him. Parents, listen to me. You need to be teaching your, 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 your children the word of God. Well, they're not interested. It doesn't matter. Did anybody ever tell you you're their parent, okay? You need to take time and give them the word of God because if you don't, I'm so grateful that practically every night as I was growing up, it wasn't a fancy devotion, but my dad would bring me around, the, our family around, and he would read a verse of scripture or two or three verses of scripture, sometimes way too much scripture, okay? And they have a prayer with us. It's not that complicated. But he was inputting into me the Word of God. I was getting exposure to the Word of God. Your kids, notice what it says here of, of, of Timothy. But as for you, why did Timothy become such a great help to the Apostle Paul? Why did Daniel have it in him? But as for you, continue in what you've learned have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known what? The Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Teach your kids. Number three, stay on course. Daniel has to stay on course. We're going to talk about this as we go through the series. The knowledge of a course, the knowledge of what the map says is no good unless you follow the map, right? There's absolutely no good. And so when Daniel was thrust into this, this culture this anti-God culture, this idolatrous culture, he was facing a test. He knew God's word. It was in him, obviously, as we saw from the resolution he made a moment ago. But he had to decide what he was going to do with it. What am I going to do with the word? And Daniel was on his own for the first time in his life. He's 17. Maybe I'm talking to a college student. You're getting ready to go to college and You're going to be on your own for the first time in life. What choices are you going to make? How are you going to live your life? That's just where Daniel was. There were no parents there to watch over him anymore. There were no grandparents there to say, Hey, Daniel, how are you living your life? There were no guardians there. No, he's thrust into this culture. Nobody there to guide him. Nobody there to advise him. Or no one even there to correct him. He had to choose what he was going to do. And he made a decision to refuse the king's food... And that decision revealed the commitment that he had to stay on course. This was the first test he faced. And there are many other tests, as we'll see as we go through his life. But he made the decision to stay on course. To stay on course means this. It means you, you obey. It means that you cooperate. It means that you submit to the guidance that's been given to you. And that's exactly what Daniel did. Many people pray for guidance to get to the right destination in life many of you perhaps are praying for God to guide you in the right destination the right course for your life but i want to tell you prayer alone is not enough prayer has to be connected to obedience okay you can pray all day long but if you don't do what the scriptures say do, you're, you're not going to be on the right track. And so, yes, prayer is good. It empowers us to obey, but, but prayer alone is not enough. You have to choose to obey. Look at this verse, First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. But Samuel replied, this is when he was talking to Saul. Saul had tried to say, hey, you know, I don't really have to obey. I I, I did what I thought was right. I did what I, I wanted to do. And Samuel comes back, the prophet, and says, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission than offering uh, than, than offering the fat of rams. Notice this, Isaiah 1 verse 19. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. Not just willing, but willing and obedient. Take a look at this verse. But don't just listen to God's word. You must Do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. How many times we hear a message or we hear something from God's word and we give a good strong amen to it and we think just because we've acknowledged that we think it's great or it's good or it feels good to hear something like that and yet we walk away and we don't do it what happens is there's a fooling of ourselves a deception to think that we because we heard it it becomes reality in your life no it doesn't become reality until you do it number four the fourth thing anybody still with me tonight are you okay Here's, here's a key, and this is for somebody here tonight. I don't know who you are, but I know this particular point is for somebody here tonight, or somebody watching online. You have to learn how to return to course. Let me hold, hold right there for a second before I go to the next. Every good chart plotter on a boat or every good navigation system and a car has a function called return to course, or in some cases it's called rerouting. Correct? Ret- uh, on a boat chart plotter it usually says return to course. It as as points little arrows to get you back where you need to be. And on a car it's usually the the voice that comes in and says something like this. Uh, rerouting or uh, finding, a new de- finding a new path or something of that effect. But there's something that is designed in these these technological uh, components that give us the capacity to get back on track when we've gotten off track. Why did they include that in these technological pieces? Why, why do we have those things? Why do we have back-to-course or rerouting? I'll tell you why, because we're, we're inattentive, we're disobedient, and sometimes we think we know a better way to get somewhere than the, than the device does. Correct, right? It's telling us one thing, but we say, I think I know a better way to get there. Right? So we're kind of independent, inattentive. And, and so the, the designers of these, these pieces of technology said, well, we need to put something in there because we have a lot of dumb people who want to do their own thing. So it would be a good idea to put this little lady's voice in there that says, hey, stupid, you should have listened to me 10 miles ago, but now that you're off track, I am going to get you back on track again. Thank you very much. Okay. Those little things are there because we do get off course. And I want to tell you that in life, there's none of us, as we go through life, that at some point in time, some tide is going to get you. Some wind is going to push you where you don't want to be. And and some current is going to affect your journey along the way. How many of you would be honest enough tonight to say, there have been some times in my life when I've gotten off course a little bit. Come on, raise your hand and be honest together, okay? There's some times in my life where where the, where I started drifting because the wind was pushing me and I look back now I, I, did, I I'm sorry that that happened to me but but it happened to me in the journey. Here's what I want to tell you that, you that that as the tides and the winds and the currents come your way, the beautiful thing about God is He's included a return to course function for you. Okay. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3. Now I'll go to this verse. I love this. Therefore tell the people. So I'm telling you tonight. Therefore tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will disown you. No, I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. I am glad that verse is in the Bible. How about you? That when the tides and the winds and the currents have pushed us where we don't want to be, God says, just tell the people this. Make sure they know this. The Lord Almighty says, return to me, and I will return to you. Take, Hosea 14 verse 2, take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to Him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Notice again, what are we doing? We're returning to the Lord. How? By coming to Him and saying, forgive all our sins, receive us graciously. Look at Luke chapter 15. Let me set this story up. It's the prodigal son. It's a young man that went to his father and said, give me all my stuff now. I want my inheritance. I got a lot of things I want to do. I'm going to go out and have a great time. He goes out, finds out life was not everything he thought it was going to be. Wastes all of his money. Finds himself in a pig pen. Makes the decision that he's going to get back with his father. And so notice this. So he, I want you to say these words to me. So he did what? That's a word for somebody here tonight. You need to get up out of your mess. Get up out of your mistake. Maybe you're watching online. Get up. Don't sit there in the midst of what's happened. Don't sit there in the midst of the mess that you feel like you've made in your life. No, get up out of the pig pen. You say, well, I've got all the stench on me. That's okay. Get up, get up, get up. So he got up and went to his father that certainly represents God but while he was still a long way off his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him that's the kind of father that we have amen fantastic got two more to go I'm gonna cover these again as quickly as I can watch out for hazards along the way every good chart every good map if you use Waze in your car, it's going to tell you there's a hazard in the road. Watch for hazards, okay? It's going to tell you about stuff coming up. It's a car sitting beside the road. Same is true uh, if you're sailing, if you're navigating on the water. The same is true. Uh, hazards are pointing there. And in your spiritual journey, you're going to face some hazards. You better watch the map closely because it's going to tell you where the hazards are. You know, If you read your Bible, it'll tell you what to watch out for. Did you hear that? If you read your Bible, it'll tell you what to watch out for. It identifies the hazards, okay? It reminds us there's some hazardous people you can have around you. Amen? Yes. Watch out for the hazardous people. There's some hazardous circumstances that can get you. There's some hazardous attitudes that can get you. There's some hazardous detours you can take. But be, be alert. Watch out for them. Notice the book of uh, Peter 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's why we need to be alert and of sober mind. Take a look at this next verse. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous and be strong. Let me bring us to our final point this weekend. Here we go. Say it with me. Trust the process. Daniel trusted that God's way was the best way. I want you to think with me for a moment. Let's go back in that story. Here's Daniel, 17 years old approximately, taken out of his land, completely foreign environment. He's got all this stuff being shoved his way, all this Babylonian influence being shoved his way that run counter to what's really, what he knows is right in his heart. And he's having to make some decisions. He resolves not to defile himself and partake of the king's food. Notice this in Daniel 1 verse 8 again. I'll read it for you. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, do you understand that if you are a 17-year-old young man. You've been brought in from a foreign nation. You've been brought in to be, into the king's palace to be trained by the king. He's giving you his best food. He's giving you his best wine. He's giving you your best everything, okay? And you say, I don't want it. I'm not going to eat this. I'm not going to drink this. I'm not going to partake of this. Do you understand that Daniel was running a risk? Do you understand that? You got it? You understand that? It's not like It was not like a smorgasbord. It wasn't like a Jewish section and a Babylonian section. I'll go to the Jewish section. No, it wasn't that. He was making a choice, making a decision. And there was a risk involved. So he, he asked for permission not to defile himself in this way. But notice what happens here. Please test. This is verses 12 and 13. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And so here was the plea. Here, you know, would you please just let us do this? We have different convictions. Would you please just test us for 10 days? Just give us vegetables, give us water to drink. We're not asking for anything special. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So here's what I want you to get. My goodness, do I want to preach on this, but I don't have time. What was Daniel doing? What do you see all through that verse? Trusting God. He knew what the word of God said. He was taking a risk, but where was his trust? His trust was in God to protect him. God to take care of him. He said, just give me 10 days. Give us 10 days. And then just, just see. Take a look at us. See what we're going to look like. What our appearance is going to be. And then, and then you can treat your servants in accordance with whatever you see. Take a look now at what happened. Verse 15. At the end of 10 days. Boy, I'm getting ready to shout right here. They looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men. Who ate the royal food. Trusting God always works. Amen, okay? When you walk the path and the tides of culture, and the winds of culture, and the currents of culture are trying to push you away from God and tell you to live life their way and just, just follow them and be like everybody else. It's okay. Just be like everybody else. It's not a big deal. Everybody's doing it. It's okay. You can do it too. everybody. Just go ahead and be like everybody else. Don't try to be holy, holy. Just be like everybody else. But when you make the stand to say, no, I want to I wanna honor God with my life. You don't have to be self-righteous. In fact, you shouldn't be self-righteous. You don't have to be holier than thou. You don't have to make some big deal. Daniel was as sweet as he could be about. Don't you see a sweet young man here? He wasn't arrogant. like, Put me to the test. I'll show you that my God is better than your stinking idols do that. He has very sweetly made the appeal. And here's what I want to end with today. A verse that perhaps is the favorite of many of you here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. Did He make Daniel's path straight? He certainly did. The same God that made the path straight for Daniel will make the path straight for you. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, we thank you. We all face the tides, the winds, and the currents that push against us every day. We feel the pressure of the world around us. and Everything pushes us to conform, to think, to be like the world. Thank you for the example of Daniel and how you've given us the... Example of a man that trusted you in the midst of all of what he went through. And, Lord, you can do the same for us. Help us to trust in you and to turn our trust into daily obedience to you. Not in some self-righteous and arrogant way, but just in a simple, loving way. Let us walk with you and let us follow the example of Daniel. For that we thank you. In Jesus' name. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you and we look forward to seeing you next time.